This is imperial voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. Welcome to Imperial Voice, coming to you as if from Fairfield House Bath. This is In Our City. I'm Oluwatu Sin Onileri. I'm William Heath. 22nd of June is Windrush Day. In 1948, the Empire Windrush docked at Tilbury. It had just over a thousand passengers on board from the Caribbean. And on Sunday the 21st, Christchurch in Julian Road, Bath, marks the Windrush anniversary for the third time. So today we're going to hear a revealing conversation with black elders and community workers about how they perceive the experience of that generation and their descendants in Bath. But first, we have the joy of talking to the Reverend Laura Chumbley, who's priest in charge of Christchurch Proprietary Chapel. Did I get that right, Laura? That's absolutely right. Built as a proprietary chapel to serve the poor in the very end of the 18th century. So, Laura, hello. May I ask you why you started marking Windrush? Well, we were actually quite tentative about that. We were aware of the uh, anniversary coming up, but felt that uh, our own generation of people from the Afro-Caribbean countries actually had not come over with the Windrush, and we knew that, and we didn't want to appropriate other, other people's uh, traditions. But we were uh, talking to some people in our congregation who are from the Afro-Caribbean community. They felt that, yes, they did want to mark the whole generation of people who came, not just in 1948, but in the 50s and even in the 60s, uh, and their experiences. And so with uh, the help of, of Pauline Swaby from uh, Bemsker and Fairfield House, and uh, the help of the Society of Friends and an ecumenical group, we put together a service, uh, but we insisted it wasn't just a service, it would also be a celebration. So it was also a, a cookout um, and celebration afterwards. Wow. I remember the rum punch. It was a one bottle rum punch, one bottle of rum. The second year it was a two bottle rum punch and I'm expecting this year we would have bought three bottles of rum to go in the rum punch. But it wasn't entirely celebratory was it in that first mm -hmm. year? Absolutely. I mean it has to be celebration and lament uh, and anger and we felt very much that was the case and there was an, an opportunity for people to speak about the things that had happened, we heard quite a lot from the community, particularly afterwards, about the difficulties and the tragedies of coming, and the disappointments. And we lamented that, but we also then celebrated. And I think that needs to continue. And so this year there will be celebration, lament, and also anger. Um, Christchurch is a pretty white church, would you agree? We believe and we aim to be an inclusive church, while recognising that even to say that, even to say we are inclusive, is setting up boundaries. After all, we're only inclusive because we believe other, some people are other, and ideally none of us are other. We're all part of the kingdom of God. So we all, as, as Christian churches, have to be totally inclusive. Yeah. So do you think Bath in general did enough to welcome the Windrush generation? Oh, Tosin. Well, when I arrived in um, Bath four years ago, there were still one or two older members of the Afro-Caribbean community coming to church and I went to visit them and the story was always the same. When we came, uh, we needed to find somewhere to live, a job and a church and we went to a church and everybody turned around and looked at us because we weren't white and they didn't stay. And, and so the answer is no. Um, I, I am honoured that they ended up and they did in Christchurch because we had a big Afro-Caribbean community in Christchurch in the 
fifties and sixties. But um, no, it is it is shameful that not only in Bath, that throughout the country uh, there was this reaction, a and it continues uh, in a different way. It's gone on, perhaps gone underground in some ways, but no, it's still there. So no, Bath did not do enough, and uh, and still is not doing enough. And we're only now beginning the conversation about the Beckford Tower, about um, institutionalised racism that, that is still going on. I think we're nowhere near there. I think it's going to take you know, decades, even hundreds of years to get there. I hope not, but I fear so. And Christchurch inclusivity, of course, is not, it is not just to do with race, it's to do with wealth and economic status and also sexuality. All that is part of the general inclusivity, I think, of the kingdom of God that we, that we support in Christchurch. What do you think you will be to do at Christchurch to try and improve matters? After George Floyd's death and the protests that surrounded it, I have to say uh, uh, we were galvanised into thinking about this. And so I preached a, a fairly fierce sermon saying that what we have to, and it ended by saying, what we at Christchurch have to do is to commit ourselves to supporting those members of the black and minority ethnic community who do reach positions of power, whether that is in politics, in the judiciary, in society, in our own local community, of genuinely supporting them, of celebrating that, of looking into our own lives and being aware of the inherent racism which we all have and are not even aware of, but in challenging it in ourselves and in others. Because I think, although we do need top-down change, we also need bottom-up change. And we, people who believe we are inclusive, who believe we are not racist, have to look into ourselves and see what are the, what are the, uh, the assumptions we have of who people are and what they're able to do uh, depending on, on race, uh, because it's present in all of them. So do you think we can tackle the issues of inequality in isolation, or do you think they have to be tackled all together and all at the same time? Well, of course, uh, you're speaking here to a Christian priest, and the answer is the, answer is the kingdom of God, mm. uh, which, which presupposes all those things you say that we are all equal in the eyes of God. We're all created by God who loves us all equally. And so, of course, you have to tackle all those things. Inequality of education, of unemployment or employment, inequality of health, socioeconomic inequality, inequality of the whole debate over sexuality and gender. Uh, but it all has to be based on equal respect for individuals and communities. And we're living in the real world, which is affected by all our history and the structure in which we find ourselves, the structure of capitalism, the structure of the history of colonialism and so forth. My, my role as a Christian priest is to proclaim the equality of all people, the fact that God loves all of us, and we then have to try as individuals to live that out. And of course, the other thing we can do is use our vote to vote for those people who we think can make small political changes for the better. But you're absolutely right. It is not just one thing in isolation. It is the way we are making assumptions about people that's what prejudice means to make assumptions before we know them instead of treating individuals as individuals and not seeing color or race or sexuality or wealth or economic or social power i'm not sure i agree with everything you said in the way you said it <laughs> what, do you, what do you disagree with that Tessie? um no i i think personally we we need to celebrate all our differences and I don't, I don't think we should go to a bit, I don't think it's possible to get to a place where we don't see difference. Um, I think 
we need to acknowledge difference and accept it and in some places celebrate it but it's not by not seeing it i mean i think by not seeing it that's of course the narrative um, oh let's let's see and celebrate difference I and mean, we're all created different and gloriously different but he, i yeah. think equality is something else i think uh i think the problem is seeing people not as different because we're all different but seeing people as the other not me and my tribe but somebody else in a different tribe and also equality, I think it means equal rights, equality in, in, in the eyes of the law, equal respect and treatment, uh, equal opportunity. I think Jesus presupposes that. Look at the way he talks to women. I mean, nobody talked to women as he does. He teaches women at a time when women are actually just chattels who own them. He does also talk about race. I mean, he actually has the, the, the humility to learn about race. He says to a Syrophoenician woman who is not a Jew, not of his tribe, you know, no, I can't heal your daughter. I'm not sent to anybody except the Jews. And she talks to him and she talks him round. And in the end, he does. He heals the daughter of somebody who is not a Jew. That said, people of African heritage could, with some justification, feel ill-treated by self-described devout followers of Jesus, couldn't they? I mean, through previous centuries. Absolutely. I mean, the third thing is rage. Lament, celebration and rage. Rage at the way in which we, as the church, uh, supported slavery. I mean, some bishops were against the abolition of the slave trade because for economic reasons, and the church itself has a very poor record. People have, have argued from an understanding of the New Testament, which I would not support. As you celebrate Windrush, will you be encouraging the congregation also to remember Juneteenth? I don't know what Juneteenth remember. is. Can you fill me in, Tosin? I've seen references to it and I haven't I like looked it up. Oh, that is the day, 19th of June, the day the slavery was, the slaves were freed. Forgive yeah. my ignorance. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. I just thought it was just a remarkable, it's all both in June, it's a remarkable day. This is so difficult uh, because one doesn't want to, to, to appropriate other people's celebrations. Um, but I don't want to not say that one of the people who founded Christchurch, Christchurch was founded 1798 and it was founded by public subscription. People raised money to found it so that you could have a church that people with no money could go to. It was free to attend for the first time. And William Wilberforce was one of those people who helped support uh, and raise money for the foundation of Christchurch. And so actually, yes, entirely appropriate that we do celebrate the abolition of slavery. And thank you, Tosin, because I was not aware of that. You see, we, we have to learn from each other, each other's differences. I was not aware of that date and we will absolutely be celebrating that. It's one of the things we can celebrate because there is also, as I say in that service, there has to be lament, there has to be anger, but what we can celebrate, we must and we will. No, I wasn't aware of that either, so thank you very much. I'd seen references to it and I was feeling a bit ignorant. Laura, for your event on the 21st of June, we recorded some readings by Bemsker staff and elders for the service. And um, after those readings, we, we, we left the recorder running with their consent and recorded a conversation between the elders and stuff about these issues. Let's just listen to that conversation now, shall we? Why did the Windrush generation come to Britain? My mum came around that time and my mum said um, back in Jamaica at the time, um, that was back in the 60s and the war had just finished. And so she said that England had sent an invitation to the country to say like, you know, they needed workers up. So she and my dad decided that they would come here. But when she said she came, this, it wasn't quite what she expected. 
but obviously they were invited here, but when they came there was no preparation for them full stop. You know, it was very difficult for them to um, find somewhere to live and to, for them to be able to have a, a accommodation, it was based on someone that probably was well enough to have a house that they could just rent a room and that's how um, it was all the time. You know, when they went for a lot of jobs, they didn't really get a lot of the jobs because of the colour of their skin. So, you know, that's the reason I would say that she would always give and say that they were invited here. They didn't just take the plane and come, they were invited by the government at the time to come out. Do you think that the Caribbean community got a proper Christian welcome? No, they didn't really get a Christian no, no, welcome. No, we, we came here because on the, on the, on the wireless, you know, and then someone from England said, come to England, your mother country will need you to, to rebuild. I'm still working. Rebuilding between men and women, between black and white, I'm still doing it. Yeah, but I think that when you came you know, here, you were still in the, in, under the English, um, under the Queen, weren't you? Yes, I am, yes. Yes, because yes. Jamaica, yes, yeah, he went into the 62, yes, 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 yes. Barbados, yes. and many more. So, many yeah, more, many more, all British when they came all here. All British when we came here at the yes. time. So is Bath a welcoming and inclusive community today? I mean, you have the Christian value of, of loving your neighbour as yourself. Is, is that what it feels like in Bath? Personally, no, first first time, I don't feel Yes, but I, I, have, I haven't been nowhere to live except Bath. I came straight to Bath. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have said that because I, I was born in England, but then I grew in the Caribbean, so I came back here. So, um, experiencing the school uh, when I came back here, I just found it very racist at the time. I mean, at being the age of 10, you don't know what the race is, that is actually racism. So I didn't find that there was any support from the teachers at that time when I was at school, because they never, and our parents, it, you know, I suppose they've been here for so long and they, they understood it, so they kind of just leave it. They didn't really take it on board to say, Oh, not having that, I mean, until it got to a certain point that they would have gone. But I wouldn't have said Bath was um, very welcoming, because even like with my mum, you know, when she came and she then had my sister, and she wanted to go to work, there was a nursery just by Julian Road, and another Irish lady said to my mum, oh, there's a nursery down there, maybe you can go and ask and see if you can get the child in. And my mum said that when she went, knocked the door, this English lady opened the door, looked at her and she went, yes. And she said, oh, you know, I, I understand it's a nursery and I can leave my child. And the lady said, are you married? And she said, yeah, well, we don't take married kids down here. And that was it. That was it. And she always says, she said, she put it down to the colour of her skin. We have a youngster who's five years old. We just had to send that family into a school recently because that child was being bullied. We then have a children of 20 who are excluded from certain events because of their colour. And yet, as they say, 
the music you're playing inside your venues is all black, the clothes you're wearing, the way you look is black, and yet I'm a black person and I'm not allowed to attend. So they themselves are looking at, at you know, then why should we be partaking in anything? But we live here, and as you said, this is our home. They have no other home to go to. So even when the government was sending people home, that wasn't home because they, they, were, they didn't born there or they hadn't lived there from their child. So what were you going to do? And yet you're living in the home. So even saying bath, welcoming, you still have that, that, that mentality of people. And it's only a small minority, but it does hurt. You know, you're going into a shop and they're putting your, 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 your change on the counter or they're talking down to you or you mm -hmm. buying something and they're asking you why you buy two of that when you're not asking the other person who's buying ten. So you know, you're still up this week I even had that where I just felt saying to that woman, I, I lied, I said I'm buying it for Africa. You know, because at the end of the day I buy my thing, it's my money, you're asking me why am I buying that? What is what business is that is yours if I want to buy one or ten things? You're just taking money and that's it. Yes. Yeah. I think with the so I was just going to say, you know, the, the legacy of Windrush then is, mm -hmm. you know, it's left this element of racism which hasn't really gone anywhere, yeah. it hasn't really moved, it's still there and it's still very active. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, more than anything, that's what needs to be addressed. And I think the only way that it can be, it can change is there has to be a level of acceptance. And that needs to come from the hierarchy all the way down. It needs to come from the highest level because unless that happens, for, for, for British people in this country to hear their prime minister and their sovereign of this country accept that this happened, this is wrong, and this needs to change. Until that actually happens, there will be no changes because people will still feel that it's their civil right to believe that racism is somehow a good thing and it should be perpetuated for years to come. You see, where, where, where I'm concerned, black, I'm black. I'm, I'm proud of it. And black is beautiful. And no one can change that from us. Amen. I think um, with the Windrush, I think, you know, even, even looking at school in general itself, that should be a part of the history that the children are taught. You know, you, you start it from the beginning of little, so they understand the reason of why, you know, why, why we here. You know, because even, you know, my kids, they went to school and it was that same um, racism thing that had gone on. And, you know, you just think school, even like talking to my children and they were like, talk to my son and he said, oh, you know, he said all the time that when we're at school and we do history, they've never ever touched on nothing about black people. Why? You know, it should be something written in so that everybody in the class, the same way we sit and learn about the Tudor and the this and the that, it's the same way we should be able to, the children, they should be able to sit and be taught. So then the kids, they have an idea that we're not just all... Um, we're just not all these black people that don't do nothing because there's some very very talented black people that's there but they never seem to get mentioned and all with the wind rush it should be something that incorporated that they understand why we're here we're, we're here. here why you know where we came from 
you know, and I think it needs to start when the children are very small, and I think that's one big thing that really needs, that the government should be looking at, and it should be in the school curriculum as a thing that you must teach history, black history. And, then, and that's the same thing what Ryan said, it's, it's about the government accepting it, because for it to go to the school curriculums, the colleges and universities, that's only going to come via acceptance from the government and the sovereign of this country. So they can actually then instigate this into a, a format which is then teachable, which is debatable, and, and all these things need to happen. But as I said, until that happens, we're never going to be given the platform that we need to be able to educate. And education is the reason why people are actually racist, because they lack education. Even going back to when, obviously, when my children went to school, and I, you know, and I can, at the time, you know, she had to, obviously, the school bus, and she was on the bus, the bus was full, whatever, and obviously some children had got on the bus, and they were just throwing bananas around on the bus, and doing their monkey charm. And I just think, even that, every time I think of it, I just really annoy, because I thought even the bus driver at that time should have stopped that bus and sort it out, but it didn't, it just carried on and on and on and on. You know, so, you know, to this school, obviously I did go back to this school with it, and it was just like, oh well, I'll have a talk with them. That is when you should have been sitting those children in there and giving them, this is when you think, well, we need to bring some culture back into the school to explain, but, you know, all those things, a lot of things that happen, so, and this is bad. So I think when people think, oh, well, we're all right in Bath, no, we're not all right in Bath, it is in Bath. Massively as well, because even where, we're, where we are now, that was this, about this house and the fact that the Emperor of Ethiopia lived here when he was in exile was not taught in any schooling that I have received and I, I was born and raised right here in Bath. And that I find quite shocking because like, it's not like they didn't know it was here. They knew about it long before I was ever born. So, but yet, it's of no importance or no significance. And for, for the amount of, you know, black people that came to Bath alone and worked, because, you know, they didn't have a choice, they had to work, they all worked, they all bought their houses, and they made a presence in Bath, and that still didn't filter through to people that perhaps we need to be taught about who we are. And I think also as people ourselves, we were so degraded that people didn't even want to accept Africa as African or Africans. Because if you said that, people looked at you and you know you were those naked people, you were the slave. So you said, no, I came from Jamaica. Or I, but you had to come from somewhere to have gone to Jamaica. Or if you say I'm British, you had to come from somewhere. So even they were not upholding their blackness. And I think that with all of this happening, that what we need to do, and we have done it over the past, we've gone into schools, we've done our cultural day, but it's not, but again, it's, it's, like school, a, it's not a paid thing, so you know, you go and you do it and then you come out, but if the school took it on board and then you went in, just like any other teaching job, and you, you know you were there to do a, a specific thing, so I don't want anybody to listen to any of this and say, oh, those black people, they don't, no, we are very strong black people, very black-minded, we have our own schools, if we, we have our supplementary school, because we have to educate our children, and we have done well with them, but at the same time, when they get outside the door, or they're in a community, you know, and I think Bath is a place, you might say it's 
welcoming. But when people come here, you walk down and tell you don't see no black person. The amount of people that come here, does black people live in Bath? Yes, they do, but again, they're not on a significant number like Bristol, Birmingham, or London. But when they do come, they come together. And it's not that they're afraid, it's just that we're a small community. But that even make it even more so that people can target you in different places. I think with Bath as well, because I know when I came here and um, I, oh, so I, I lived at Snow Hill, and then that would have been a community then, because it was literally a lot of um, black people there. And I think what the council had done, you know, that's when it all broke, you know, they, they moved everybody out and just split the black community. So by then, you know, you have some over there, some over there, some over there, and it all just panned away. So it no longer became a close um, community as it used. So I know people had bought property and stuff, but I think the council kind of done a lot there by breaking it away. And also, even thinking of it, I said it's like, Anything I think that black people try to make a go of, it never seems to flourish much because they do not give you that support that you need. And I'm saying like going back years when like people wanted, you know, black people wanted their own radio station. And every time that they did <coughs> try to do a radio station, they always closed it down because that just keeps us quiet. You cannot air what you have to air online. And, you know, and another thing I said is when you have to fill in a form, I don't like that question. And it says, are you black or black British? What's all that about? What is all that about? And what difference is it? What does it exactly. When you fill a form, they're asking you, are you black? You say, yeah. Or are you black British? Or what other. the hell? Or other. Or other. Or other. Or what, what's all that about? Did you ever think about parties? Because it's quite conservative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a majority white place. And, and, and the, so the black minority is a real minority, isn't it, in Bath? Yeah. And say in, in Bath, you suddenly think, oh, hang on a bit, we're a bit of a racist community, we're a bit complacent, you know, we have a slave trade history. How can I understand this better? The majority white population then focuses on the very small minority black population. Help me sort out what's going on in my head. And I think it's like a burden, you know, it's, like a, it's, it's a bit oppressive to ask a very small minority people in Bath to help change the culture of a community which is just it's complacent it's not we have but then I think, on the streets of Bath I think, but, but, but you can't change as I said I think change is, is a very difficult thing because the thing is you have to be open to accept everybody and I don't think it's up to me Pauline or any of us in this room that we'll have to sit and say to someone, anyway, the reason I am black, right, is because I was born this colour, mate. And it, it, it shouldn't be. You, you, yeah. you know, it's, I, I see a white person, I'm not going to be sitting there thinking, so I wonder where you came from then. Where, where are you from? You know, you, know, you see people, they ask you, like, you, you know, you, you could be in town, you could be somewhere, and all of a sudden a white person comes to you and says, oh, um, where were you born? Mm -hmm. Oh, in Bath. No, I don't mean that. Well, where were you born? In Bath. And ask them the same question. And then, you know, from yeah, but, but, but I think, and when you say, when I say, oh, I'm born in Bath, then they, no, I don't mean that. I said, well, I was born in Bath. No, where? I said, up by St. Martin's. All mm -hmm. oh, right. Oh, but I don't mean you, I mean your parents. What's that got to do with you? What's that got to do with you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, see, you know, when, when, when we look at it, you know, said, black first, black first, you know. When we look at a black man or a black woman and we look at them and 
You don't ask where you're from. You see me walking on the road there. You wonder, well, maybe wonder in my mind, is, is he or she one of my relations? <laughs> we don't know. Just as you, history. just as you, when you see, when you see one, someone going down there, you say hello, or from Canada or Australia, you look at him or you look at her, she look nice to you or vice versa, we don't know, is, is, is his relation, your relation, we don't know. So that's we are, that's what we are. You know, but I think, you know, Bath is there, it, it is on the, the ladder for the racism. But because I think it's, it's a small place, it, it, it's only the, it pops out, it, you know, it pops out and um, even children themselves, they, their parents is already that way, so the children, the, the, they already tell their children mm -hmm. what and what it is, and then when they go to school, they bring it back to school. You see, when, before then, when we have, I have friends now, not here anymore, on relation, they're not here anymore, they're gone, we haven't gone, I'm going to go somewhere, some garden. Just as, those are white people. They walk, they like, some like us, some don't like us. But not, they're not here anymore. They're gone and garden, garden. You know, so, so we, we, we can't stop. They say, tell us we are black, we cannot go anywhere. It is it's, it's up to them to talk, just shut them out and say hello, good afternoon, good afternoon, or how are you, or whatever. And don't call black because we're, not, we're, we're here, we're God children. So, my son said something funny to me. We were talking about prejudice, but we were talking about different prejudice. Mm. We're talking about homophobia. Yeah. And I was just saying to him, you know, how, how did it happen and how do you fix it? And he said to me, you just can't be a decent person and hate somebody for who they are. You just can't be a decent person. And when I think about how to fix the prejudices, it's almost as if they all come together. And if somebody follows proper Christian or other principles and just loves other people and sees the good in other people, then why would you hate them for any stupid reason? Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me wonder whether actually you can't fix racism in isolation because it's actually linked to all the other sorts of hate and prejudice that people have and whether it's a sort of more of a broad enlightenment that people need rather than fixing that mm -hmm. in here. You know, because although we're here and we're talking and some of us, we can say what, we, we don't like everything. We might not, I don't mind not even like Carter. You know, not because it's hard black. to imagine. But yeah. yeah. But yeah. <laughs> you know, so we all have that dislike. I don't like you either. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we wouldn't have it or hurt it. You know, we would walk away or find something yeah. else. But some yeah. people don't, can't do that. So they, they feel that like they have yeah. to throw words at yeah. you. And if they throw that, then those are the things that's going to hurt you. But I said that we are people who have been here and we, we have got strength, strength in numbers, sometimes strength alone. Mm -hmm. Because we have built a community and that is why we know each other. Because if we didn't have that community, we would not be here today. We wouldn't even be having this conversation with you. We'd be in our own little, you know, pocket hole. So even being here at Fairfield House, this is where Fairfield House has a, a duty now as to bringing a community together and making sure that, that that community feel welcome. And and we already know that Fairfield hasn't got no colour bar to it, it hasn't got no prejudice to it, it it's open and the 
people that come to that door will tell you, I just feel so welcoming here, not because it's William that's um, welcoming or it's calling our son here. I just feel welcome to be here. And I think, you know, the world is not, it's not, it's never ever going to be like that. So I just think that we just have to do what we have to do. And, and you know, one of it is protecting ourselves and protecting others around us. Yeah. Well, I really hope that, that congregating and worshipping at Christ Church and all the work at Fairfield just takes, takes us to a better place. I felt really good about the Christ Church uh, ceremonies for Windrush. I was really happy to be there. I thought they were really beautiful occasions. I, I think with Christchurch, as I mentioned in there, because somebody mentioned about the Walk-Up Methodist, and I added it after. But there's lots of different churches that people are at now, but when people came here, because of where they lived, they lived on Burlington Street or you lived in mm -hmm. Snowy. So those two churches had a connection. So many people were married or christened their children. So that's well, why even in death, school there. even in death, that's where they go to be, they, they last um, rest when they you know they have their funeral service. They may live out of town, but they will come back to Christ Church or they will come back to Walker because that is where their connection is in that community. So with um, Christ Church, Christ Church has always been an open church. I wouldn't say that it was always friendly, but it welcomed the community because to have the the um, and Ursuline over sixty years married in that church and many others who came after them and also to do the celebration of all the, the West Indian countries who had independence. They were the church that uh, opened us to actually do that. So people have a more closer bond with Christchurch, although there are other churches as well. So that's why we felt, even in isolation now, that we still needed to do something. And look, you know, Reverend Lord was happy that we, we made this, and um, we will celebrate. Racism needs to be raised, and it should be something. And as I always say, it, it's to talk about racism, it needs, it needs our voices. There's no point, uh, no disrespect, William, a white person sit there and say, anyway, you know, it was like this. No, you do not know anything about how we feel. You don't know what's in here. So it's always best that we ourselves need to be our speaker because we know it, we feel it, we live it, you and know? So, and some, some of us out there still talk about us. Just like sound, sound of praise, you know? Sound of praise come from us. Out there, we are, we're the first, we're the first black people bring that up. And now look at it out there. And a lot of people, not just as alone, they can sit down and listen to it when it comes Sunday afternoon. Even with the churches, yeah. I think, you know, even some of the churches, because even like say Valsham and other places, because obviously they don't, they then have to form their own churches because they, you know, it, it was no point in going to the white church because you're not you're not doing what what we want. I know the Bible is the same. Whichever way you read that Bible, the Bible represents even if you're Jehovah or whatever, it's still one Bible. And obviously, people change it to what they want to change it to, but it's still one Bible. But then that's why black people then have to form their own churches because in the Caribbean, that is something that's very strong. On a you know on a Saturday Sunday, you can guarantee those churches are full. So when the people they came here. It wasn't enough of that, so then they have to form their own, to, you know, churches. And I think now is the moment to do what you asked for, for changing that conversation, because George Floyd died, and let's hope he didn't die in vain. The Colston statue got toppled. 
and in this week, in the last two days, I've had a letter from my MP saying I want to talk to black people in Bath about their experience and, and what it's like. Yes, and then so the councillor, Dina Romero, wrote today, she said, I want to change the conversation in Bath about these matters and also about our monuments. So I think when when you want to come, <laughs> we have to come up here. Up here, we are here, up here. Exactly. Not, not, not here quite now. Yeah, up here, up here, here. <laughs> not so only that, what, uh, yeah. William, I know we talk about, and even the black community yeah. will tell you, those who are feeling, that because um, Floyd had died, because many yeah. people died before, before Floyd, before Floyd yeah. it's are. not because of anything else that you're going to be coming and talking to us. We don't want that. What we want is we, number one, have to be our community. So we have to come together as a community that when something hits us, we don't need William to stand there pulling down the statue, dragging the statue on our behalf. You're not talking for me because we need to be talking and we need to get whatever we have to say and you have to listen. So don't come with it because it's Black Lives Matter now. We were black. I was black 61 years ago. I'm still black now. My life mattered last month. It mattered last year. So it doesn't matter any different now. So I think that what we need to do as a community need to get together first before we start talking to no politician, no nothing, because they have an agenda to show, oh, look, I've spoken to this group. Because we've had that, where people come to us and they speak to us and they go away, and we're still having to carry on so that doesn't mean anything to me. So Vera, Dina, fine. But I feel that what we're doing here, we're talking, and we're only talking because of this. If I called the meeting and said, you know, we're going to go to Fairfield House and we're going to do this, probably two of us would have turned up. Probably being just me and Mr. Joseph. You know what? So we as a community need to know what is valued and what we should be doing, not let people dictating for us and telling us that come together, I want to talk to you. We can talk, we can talk anytime. I yes, mean, we've had yes. so many meetings. I mean, back, going back in time, you know, we're talking from Riverside, race we talk, we're race equality counts and everything, and we've had so many meetings, even down into the Guild Hall, we've had people come and talk about yeah. race. We've had MPs sit there and everybody just sits there and talk about it, and that's the end of that. The door shuts, the meeting finished, the minutes taken, and that's the end of that. So I think we've had enough of meetings and politicians coming to sit and listen, and then they do nothing. There's something else. There's something else. But the, yes, yes. But just for me, for me alone, for me, you know, I want black and white together. But it's always it's the, that's what I mean. Because because the, that's we can't run away. We can't run away from it. It's always been there, but I mean, yeah. I think we have to look at the problems that really exist and. and they have got to come to the conclusion that there is a systemic, institutionalised, racist system that exists. No matter which politician is going to come out of mm-hmm. the book and say this and that to us, that's not where it is anymore. That dialogue, like, you know, Pauline Lorraine was saying, it's, we've had that, we've done that. Mm. And, we've, and we've not really made any ground. So what we need to do now is go back to them and say, look, Instead of you keep coming to us, we having these little conversations, and you know you do the old thing, and then you forget all about us until something else comes up. No, go back inside your system and change your system. Because by changing your system, yeah, then other things can change with it. Because it's 
if they're just going to keep coming and talking to us and we talk to them and then they go away and we go away and then nothing really changes, all you're doing is just really, you might as well just reschedule another time to come back and sit down and, and do the same thing again. We're not making any ground that way because there's no acceptance because until they can accept that this is wrong, then it can't change. They've got to accept it. We know it's wrong. We know it's damn wrong. And you want to hear that from the most sort of senior Yes, people. because that is yeah. going to change people's yeah. minds. Yeah. I think if Boris went out there and admitted and said, oh yes, you know, England has been... Yes. A, we, we, we have had our use of the black people because they were slaves. Yeah. We, we, we were well involved in it, in, you know, all over the country. I mean, Bristol docks, for goodness sake, that's where yeah. they all came in, didn't exactly. they? And all that kind of thing. And you just think, but, you know, it, it, they're not admitting, you that's know, they're country. not saying. Yeah. Oh yeah, it did happen there, so you know, they, they need to admit it. Just come out yeah. and say, well, yeah, we know what we did in the year was wrong. We know it happened. And we know. And, and it's know. fine, because we've passed that point now. But by not admitting it, by not actually putting your hands up and saying, you know yeah. what, we as a country, we did this to you people, we're wrong, we're sorry, we want to change it, help us to change it. Okay, then we can actually start to make inroads, but until that time comes, nothing, but nothing is going to change. Even if they have an admittance, you know, what difference that would make today? Because they're going to say, oh, I'd be 400 years ago, boom. Yeah, you know, we're right. here yes. today, yes. and it's what we want yeah, today. But that's what they can now but, change for the better. But it's not yeah. it, it, but we need to change speak. for the better, because our, our kids, no. if, if it doesn't change, our children will still, our children and their children, will, we all will still be in this little thing where we're, where we're all going to be sick, just the same old same old. And yeah, I just think... all these years now, the statues have been there 400 years, and what's that like George Floyd, they will still be there today. Yes, the hard heads, for example, we go to Bedford Tunnel, we go to the Guildhall, we go Knockdown, we go to the museum. But we've never done that because, you know what, it's never affected us in that way. Because we, we are people, we could do what we wanted to do. The changes, it's not about them saying, I'm so sorry, because Remember now, that's something that has infiltrated a whole generation. So by Boris or the Queen saying, that's not going to tell the man around the corner who's already got that racist mind. His mind's not going to change. I think it's just how things have got to change and where people are sitting in their community, what people are doing. Even us being here in Fairfield House, where they've had us come, going, keep going, coming. I said, I am sick and I am tired. But when you're mad, you still need to keep it up. You cannot just say anything and just leave it. And I think that this is what this is about. We don't leave it. We continue to have the conversation. We try to build from those ashes. Because we as people need to be seen, to be doing what we're doing. And not to be angry, because that's what they want to see us. Angry, taking statue down, kicking down, burning down. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. No, we have our voice. So let our voice be heard. Let us be sitting on some of those boards that they have so that we can make those changes. Let us come out of the comfort zone and stop using, you know, oh, you know, they've got to put us down. They've, they've put us down, but we are rising. I keep saying that. We are rising. We know what we want. We are up here. We're not down there. But even even so, with or I'm gonna say, and at the end of the day, I, I wonder when they're making their decision. You know, what what is there any black bodies on there? What what bodies have they got in there? Like you, you know, you know, a lot of these decisions that are made 
how many black people is sitting there. Not and it's, it, you know, so all that kind of thing is a, is a change of, that needs to come. That It's so not just based on one, you know, just a bunch of white people sit there, sorry William, and right. said, duh, 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 duh. Where's the black bodies on those things to, to join to into, into conversation to say, well, yeah, we should be up there. But then the reason that there's no black person up on that body is because they do not have it open to let any black person come on it anyway. And no, I know someone who's actually worked for, 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 for Virgin, and in the end she left. Because yeah. she found that Virgin was, two black people had good jobs working in Virgin, when and they get, both left due to racism. And this is what I'm trying to say, because you, know, you can get yourself into some of these positions as an individual, you can work for certain companies, and you can try to climb the ranks. But it's always against you. And, and, and this is what I'm trying to say. It has to come from a high level because, you know, it's not like, you know, we've all sat around and didn't try to do anything. We've all gone yeah. in and done jobs, you know, but you receive so much oppression. You know, I was a manager of a company and, you know, my own staff were trying to get me the sack. Why? Because they didn't like the fact that they had to take orders from who? Me, a black man. See? They didn't like it when they were to be disciplined. They didn't like it because I was disciplining them. Me, the black man. They didn't like it. You know, these are the kind of things that I've come across in, in my world of work. So I know that, you know, it's not going to happen on a local level. This has to come, this, I'm not saying that by the government and the Queen turn around and say, well, look, you know, this is wrong, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to give I'm you saying, this. They need to set a precedent. And, 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 and it needs to come from a high level. And it needs to filter down to all these other little departments and, and all around the country that, you know, this, this, that has to stop. There is a new way. We've got to come with something different. We've got all work because together. The, the, the level of oppression that we feel just for trying, just for trying, it makes you not want to try. I no longer want a position of management with any of those corporate companies because I know exactly what's going on. I, can't, I haven't got an iron back and I know therefore that all the knives that are going to go in my back for me to keep my position is not worth it mentally. So that is well. We don't want to meet people just say because of the black life and oh come and come and talk to us. What, what are you bringing to the table? Mm. We, we're, not, we, we're going to be talking what we're talking here. And we talk it all the time, don't we? Whenever we meet and we have a little social, you start to talk about this and you know, and you laugh after it. You say, remember when we were at school and they did this? Or do you remember when we had to beat up this person because they said this? Do you remember when they stole this? You know, we do it and we do it and we do it. So talking to, to somebody about how you're feeling, it's not going to change because we're still going to be feeling it. I think the change what we want to see is is is, com is, is companies recognizing that yeah there are black people out there and you know we're not all drug dealers and blasting whatever they class us all and rogues and whatever we're all you know there's some talented people among you know I know people who've worked at companies for like years and um, never got no promotion nothing and then yeah. When, all, when they employ the new supervisor, you who've been there all that time, they're asking you to train the supervisor. How does that work? And because of the colour of your skin, you, you know, and as, as they say, I never got the position. So when they said to me, I did, I, first of all, I used to do the training. And one day I thought, hang on a minute. Well, if I'm not good enough to um, go and be an, um, the supervisor, how am I good enough to train them? And then she said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Because you're taking in people you know, I mean, my daughter went for a job, and she went for, um, and she went for the job and everything. She went for the interview, and whatever. Well, she didn't get the job. 
But yeah, they then called her and said, oh, you know your introduction that you did for, for your, your statement? So she's like, yeah, okay. Could we actually take that from you to use it for future references for when we have our interview states? So she said, no, you're not. So she said to them, well, if I wasn't good enough to get that job, how come my statement was so strong that you would then need to use it? To, so that when you train other people, this is the interview's panel that you would like to use my thing. So she said, no. You know, and, and even the white guy who said, he, he said, oh, I really thought, you know, that job should have been yours. But because of the colour of her skin, you didn't get it. she didn't get it. So those are the things that, um, you know, that companies, companies are the ones that needs to listen and make their changes and stop bringing it to say, well, you know, because of the colour of your skin, you know you ain't going to get it. But it's about time that there is a black radio station. Look how many... Caribbean, whatever, whatever you have got. Why doesn't that happen to, to, the, to the black community? Why doesn't it happen that way? Has anybody thought, you know what, Black Lives Matter, let's, let's have a programme about black life. Let's come and, and have a little conversation. You know what, no, let's just leave that at the side. So that's what I'm saying, we as a community need to come together. We as a community need to, to um, love ourselves, love our community, because we are growing our children. We, they live here, they speak the best English, they go to university, they come out, and then when they come out, they come back to what we had, that you're suppressing them in some way. So, you know, we need to build our community first. And we have that station, as I said, just like we have the house here, and we open the house, and we make it welcoming. We have fence here, we make that welcoming. I think Imperial Voice need to do similar. And I, 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 Peter and I have had that. We talk about mental health and we talk about the youth. So we need to get some of that through the door in some way that our presenter is ready to speak to people that lives in the community, that they know this is their radio station. We need to be putting things on, we need to showcase it yeah. ourselves. Where we're, we're, we're from and where we're going. Well, we know where we're from. We know where we're from. We know where we want to go. We know where we want to go. We get it. Yeah, yeah. We're really going, Mr. Jones. Thank you. You know what? From the two little words, I'm just going to wrap all this. So just to say, is everything okay? If it's like an imperial voice. No, I think that's where it should go. That's where it should go. I think, yeah. Yeah. Good. I'll stop that. Nice to have you anyway. Hey, So, Laura, what did you make of that? Uh, I was privileged. Uh, I felt as privileged to listen to it because it's not what I would usually have heard. Um, and I thought it was a very honest and raw response. And it felt like a family coming together and saying, you know, still these things are, go are wrong. Um, and it was that I was aware of a deep sense of rage that nothing has changed, that it is the minority ethnic community who are almost expected to drive the change rather than the people who are the problem, that is the majority, who are willing to actually take this on board. And I, I, for the first time, I recognised that as an, you know, the only justifiable position, that the people who have to drive the change have to be the people who have the problem. That is the majority white population. So that was, I thought it was a very strong conversation. Um, I thought it was, parts of it really need to be shared. Um, 
uh, sadly, it didn't, it didn't tell me anything about the problems and the prejudices that people face, because I, I, I am aware of those. It is something that I have conversations with my co with, 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 with friends about. Um, uh, there is a huge amount of anger. I mean, anger and resignation, because this is largely the slightly older group that I was listening to. Um, and there was one comment which I thought was deeply impressive. Actually, in the end, it isn't just prejudice of white against minority ethnic that is the problem. He said, I don't want there to be prejudice against anybody. I don't want to be the other way. I don't want to be prejudice against white people, even if all these things have happened, even if there has been slavery, there's been colonization, there has been all the hundreds of years of problems that followed uh, the abolition of slavery. I don't want there to be prejudice either way. And I was hugely impressed with that. It reminded me of the picture on the in the Times of a black protester holding in a fireman's lift a large white right-wing protester whom he had picked up and saved from being trampled and he just put him over his shoulder and took him off and gave him to the police and I thought that was a wonderful image of how maybe one day we could be. You know um, what I found interesting was um, talks about her daughter and the role um, uh, going up for a position and not getting it and then being asked to um, if they can use her her speech um, as part of their um, recruitment or training. Yes. And what I find most depressing of all is that we are given the narrative that if we are educated enough, you know, that was always, they said, the stumbling block, that we weren't as educated as our, as our white peers. And then we become as educated, and in some cases, more educated than our alumni is. And we still don't get the jobs. Yes. And when we get the jobs, we seldom get promoted. And there is that ceiling that quickly appears. And if you, yeah, there was an expression coined by a black African-American activist writer, and she said, from pet to pest. So you go into the office and they're very happy to have the token sort of black person, and they feel very good about themselves. But as soon as you start to get more confident, you start agitating, asking to have the same opportunities as the rest of your peers, you become a pest you become a threat. And I think that is a story for a lot of people. Clearly not for everyone. There are people who manage to make it through the system. But, and then they are used as the examples to beat everybody else down. But, you know, he made it. So therefore, there must be something inherently wrong with the rest of you if you don't. Um, yeah, I find... I find I find that, um, I think I find that the most depressing, that even if my daughter goes on to university, gets a brilliant grade from whatever, the color of her skin is going to mean that almost her other, other peers will come up from the same university and they'll get jobs 
before her in whatever industry she decides to go to because the name and the color of her skin will almost certainly stand against her in this society. Yes, Tosin. And, and coming from medicine, I'm aware of the work that shows that if you apply for jobs um, and, and, and your name uh, portrays, portrays, your name celebrates an ethnic origin, you are much less likely to even get an interview. And this is in an era when we have anti-discrimination law, even. And as you say, if you get on, there will be one token black minority ethnic person and that's it you've got the one you don't need any more and also I heard um, in that conversation um, the gentleman who spoke of being a managing director the one the black man who was the managing director and the difficulty he had the, uh, dis the fact that it became impossible for him to do that job because of his ethnicity uh, and again that is that is an interview which should be shared we should hear this do you think Tosin looking at how um, the position of women in the workforce has changed and is changing. Is there any sense of optimism that with the force of numbers, people like your brilliant and beautiful daughter, actually, uh, and, and personable, who, as you say, will, will do well, will get a wonderful um, degree, I'm sure. Um, if more and more young black people are, are like this, uh, do you think the force of numbers will, make, will change them? Or will help to change yeah, I them? I think the, the events of the last few weeks might, bring about change, but the way it's being gone about by the um, present conservative government, the choices that they've made to lead um, their inquiry, their conversations, I, it makes me think, no, it won't really, it will die a quiet death somewhere and nothing will change. Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think without maybe more agitation come, it won't really, it will just die a quiet death somewhere and that's it. Well, we have to make sure it doesn't. I mean, yeah. each one of us has to make sure it doesn't, um, um, whatever that takes, I think. For me, the encouraging thing that came through those conversations was a resolute sense of, of community. And that was a sense of community in, in face of, shared adversity i thought i thought there's there was real bonds of loving friendship i loved it when when um, pauline as an example said well carlton i might not like you and carlton said yeah i don't like you either and then <laughs> and the room just dissolved in peals of laughter but um seriously uh, i think uh, bemska and its work keeping the elders cheerful and together is just exemplary in uh, it's sort of love in action. And if you compare it to the rather mechanical, bureaucratic way that care of the elders is being practiced across uh, the rest of our community, there's so much to learn from how um, that group of people look after each other. It's a real gift. We should say a big thank you to the Bemska elders and staff who mm. shared that conversation with us. And I agree, Laura, it, 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 uh, it felt a, a privilege to be part of it. And those feelings have always been there and that they're, they're, they're often, I suppose, self-censored through politeness or through Absolutely. a fear that, that nothing will happen and what's the point of, of, of sharing. So I was very grateful for that. Now, I'd like to say thank you to the Reverend Laura Chumbley, priest in charge of Christ Church Proprietary Chapel, which is the most fantastic name. And thank you, Laura, for holding the remote 
Windrush commemoration this year for the third time. Thank you very much. Thank you for the privilege of, of joining you here on Imperial Radio. Thank you. We, we will meet again and there will be a three bottle rum punch, I hope. <laughs> Next year, you're all invited. It'll be either the 20th or the 27th of June. So um, I'm sure you'll be advertising it on Imperial Radio near at the time. We will Thank indeed. You. This has been Thank In Our City. I'm William Heath. I'm Uluwato C. Onileri. And streaming as if from the palace of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie. Stay tuned to Imperial Voice.